Hello, men. Pastor Mike here. Welcome to our Harvest Men Valor podcast. I'm glad you could join with us today. You're just in time because we're beginning a new series in the book of James we're calling Walk This Way. Walk This Way. You guys know it. Not only are we going to be studying the book of James in our harvest groups, we're also going to be tracking with Pastor Greg as he teaches through it on Sunday morning here at Harvest as well and on Harvest at Home, which is streamed at harvest.church. But James is a fantastic book of the Bible. It's in the New Testament sandwiched between Paul's epistles and Peter's. You know, in the New Testament, which includes the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts, which is the history of the church and the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and then the letters. We call them epistles. Uh, They're written by Paul and Peter, John, and James and Jude, who were both brothers of Jesus. James and Jude were sons of Mary and Joseph. They were younger brothers of Jesus. Now we know that Jesus was virgin-born and God the Father is his father. He was born of the Holy Spirit. But Joseph was Jesus' earthly father, not his biological father. But he also had brothers and sisters, and James and Jude were two of them. Can you imagine having Jesus as an older brother? In some ways, it had to be pretty cool. I mean, I'm sure Jesus let his little brothers tag along with him when he was going someplace. He probably never ate the last bit of ice cream. He probably always shared. But man, talk about a hard act to follow. He was perfect. Jesus probably always made his bed. He never lied or talked back to his parents. He didn't sneak out in his adolescent years and smoke cigarettes and drink beer and cheap wine with his friends. And the cops never had to bring him home in a police wagon. He never got into fights. And if he did, he would have won. But his, uh, his brothers didn't believe in his deity. In fact, in John 7, it tells us at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, which began in the area of Galilee, and then he went into Judea. You might say Galilee was rural and Judea was more of an urban area because Jerusalem was there. Well, Jesus had gone into Galilee and the Jewish leaders were trying to stop Jesus and actually trying to kill Jesus. So he was up in Galilee and his brothers actually encouraged him to go back in to Judea kind of saying, hey, if you're going to do these things, you need to do it in front of the people, in front of the population. And Jesus had to tell them that it just wasn't his time yet. But it actually says in John 7 that his brothers said, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Isn't that crazy? His brothers came to faith after the resurrection, maybe because of the resurrection. Can you imagine seeing your brother crucified? But God used the crucifixion and the resurrection in the life of both James and Jude to awaken them to the reality that Jesus was more than just their earthly brother, but that he was God in the flesh who'd come down and was born, given birth by their mom, but born to grow up and die on a Roman cross for their sins too. And James, on becoming a believer and a follower of Christ, had then become the pastor of of the church in Jerusalem. He was one of the leaders of the church, and he uh, was writing this book, this letter, this epistle, James, to the believers that were being scattered because of persecution from guys like Paul, who had later become a believer. But the book of James is one of the best books because it's simple and straightforward Christian living. It accentuates that we come to God through faith 
and we live by faith, but also shows that our faith will show evidence through the way we live by our works. Kind of like practice what you preach, live what you believe. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer who loved the book of Romans, uh, the epistle of grace that Paul wrote, didn't so much love the book of James. He thought it made too much of the emphasis on works. But some commentators said he didn't even think the book of James should have been in the Bible. I'm not sure uh, that he said that, but some commentators uh, said that he did. But Luther himself said faith is a living, restless thing. It cannot be inoperative. You see, faith and works are like light and heat of fire. They cannot be separated. James would have been a good guy to hang around with. He was really wise. He had a way of just laying it out there. He didn't candy coat the truth. He just stated it. He didn't uh, have his head up in the clouds. He was very practical. And we'll see more of this as we study these five chapters. So I hope you'll stay with us as we study these five chapters of James. But we all need a James in our life. Someone who just tells it like it is. The problem is sometimes we avoid people like that because we feel convicted when we're around them. Well, we all have a good friend in James, in this epistle, in this letter that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write to all of us as Christians. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18 right now. And um, I guess if I was going to title this podcast, I would say it would be, You Can Resist Temptation. Maybe, men, you can resist temptation. You know, becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you now have the resolve to never be tempted again. Man, I wish it was that way. In fact, I think becoming a Christian means you will be tempted even more and in ways you never expected. Why is that? Well, because before coming to Christ, Satan basically had your number. He owned you. In a sense, his work had been done. You were going to hell. You were already kind of part of his crew. But the minute you gave your life to Christ, it is like the fight is on. You just walked onto the field of battle. You just got into the game. And the devil really wants to take us down. He wants to take you down in one way is by tempting you to sin and to do stupid things. I think Satan works hard on new believers and on believers who are resolve to grow closer to Christ, people who want to live for Christ and glorify him with their lives. Satan doesn't need to rock the cradle of some sleepy-eyed, do-nothing Christian. I remember the first, uh, when I first committed my life to Christ, I had come out of a, a partying life and a partying lifestyle. I'd been living in Huntington Beach, and I started working at a restaurant as a busboy while I was going to college. And I was uh, hoping to get promoted to being a server. And the manager thought he'd do me a favor and promote me to being a bartender. And it was a super sought-after position in the restaurant. It had some prestige. And, you know, before Christ, man, that would have been the golden ticket. It was like the devil opened the gates of this world to me. And I had an interesting back-and-forth conversation with myself, and the Holy Spirit just impressed it upon me that this was not going to be a good thing, being a, 
bartender in a restaurant, a popular restaurant in town. So I turned it down and the manager was shocked and I can never, I'll never forget the look on his face. He just looked at me and he said, well, so I guess you're quitting. <laughs> I wasn't planning on quitting, but that's kind of how it turned out. And I told him why. I told him that I'd become a Christian and that, you know, I really didn't want to be a part of kind of that partying lifestyle. I didn't want to be serving people, you know, hard liquor and being a part of that. And, you know, he just, uh, like I said, he, he kind of looked puzzled, but uh, I just felt like I needed to tell him what was going on. But there was this temptation. And as a Christian, we're going to face temptation. And how can we avoid being like the guy who cried out, the only way I can get rid of temptation is to give into it? How can we stand up and resist and even flourish in the midst of temptation? The world, the devil, is going to throw some crazy stuff at you. Maybe it's happening right now. Right now, you, you are resolved to walk and grow in your relationship with Jesus. And all of a sudden, there's new opportunities to sin, so to speak. New people coming into your lives that are drawing you away. New temptations. And we don't have to crash and burn. We can resist and grow stronger than ever before. Let me go ahead and read James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. It says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. You know, verse 12 says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to those who loved him. I love this. James gives us the good side of enduring temptation. There's a good side if you resist. You know, James uses that word blessed, makarios. It means happy. It means to have a profound inner joy or satisfaction. It's the same word found in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, blessed happy, satisfied. You're going to be happy. You're going to have profound inner joy and satisfaction when you resist temptation. What's ironic is we think we're going to be happy and have profound joy when we give into temptation. That's how Satan works. He's a deceiver and he's good at it. And we are sometimes naive and gullible and sometimes just stupid. I'm not saying that sin is always miserable. It isn't. It can be a kick and for a while, but the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season and then it brings forth death. Satan says sin will make you happy, but it is God who says that resisting sin, resisting temptation is what will make you happy. That will give us and give you the inner joy and satisfaction. It goes on, it says, for when we have been approved, we will receive the crown of life. That word approved is the Greek word dokimos, and it means to test metal. You know, you test metal to see if it's strong enough. That's what temptations do. Temptations come our way, and they really test us. They see what we're made of. They see what our faith is made of, and our faith is going to be tested in temptation. And when we resist, God gives us the crown 
of life, which the Lord promised to those who love him. You know, the Bible talks about crowns. This particular crown, the word is Stephanos, it was a crown of victory, kind of like a trophy. And the winner would get this uh, crown that they would put on their head. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writes, Know ye that they who run in a race run all, one receiveth the prize. Even so run that ye may attain it. And every man that strives in the games exercises self-control in all things. How do they do it to receive a corruptible crown? But we are incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertain, so as to fight, as not as beating the air, but I buffet my body and bring it into bondage, lest by any means, after I have preached to others, I myself should be rejected. The crown that they would receive, they, this is like an athlete's crown, like a trophy. That would be made of vines and leaves, etc. It would, it would perish. But the crown that we receive is a crown that's incorruptible. I don't know, you know, if I care so much about the crown. You know, um, I don't want to show up in heaven, not have something that I'm supposed to have. And we're all supposed to strive for that crown. The way we receive that crown of life is, is by resisting temptation, it says here. You know, the Bible also tells us that these crowns in heaven are basically given to Jesus. They're thrown at him as a sign of worship, man. And we don't want to be standing empty-handed while everyone else is throwing crowns at Jesus, you know, as a form of worship. But, uh, but the fact that God wants to give us a crown, a reward for standing strong in him, is something that we should all strive for. You know, verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. This is a slam dunk. God does not or will not tempt you. God never tempts any man. That's Satan's business. I've even heard people go so far to say that God created evil. God didn't create evil. He created an angel named Lucifer who, was, who had a free choice to serve God and worship him, and he rebelled and has been rebelling ever since. And God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, and because they were made in his image, uh, they had the ability to make choices, uh, spiritual choices, moral choices, and they chose to do the one thing, one thing that God told them not to do, and that was not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did eat, and they had some help in that temptation too. But the Bible says, let no one say that he is tempted. I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Each one of you and me will be tempted. It says when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. That word enticed is the word deliazo. It means to lure by bait. You might say that Satan is an expert fisherman. Have you ever fished? I think most of us have tried. Some of us are good at it. Some of us aren't. I'm not really so good at it. But, uh, you know, you, you, you use a good lure and sometimes you chum. You might throw a mackerel down there and boom, you know. But Satan knows our weaknesses. He's been around the block a few times. He's probably even read the Bible. And he goes after us like a good fisherman. That bait's not working. I'll change it up. He doesn't come up to us and say, do you want to totally ruin your life? No, he uses bait. 
There's a lot of different ways that Satan can tempt us. He can tempt us in the areas of covetousness. Oh, man, you got the credit card. Oh, man, let's just start spending money, you know, and then we get into financial problems, you know. You know, he tempts us because we want things. He maybe tempts us with things that make us feel good, you know, things that are kind of a rush. You know, we have friends that are just into adrenaline rushes, you know, and all of a sudden we're missing church because we're, you know, out skiing or surfing or whatever. But we're we're feeding our own flesh, our own desires. Or maybe it's a, a pretty face or a compliment that you just suck it up, you know, and, and then all of a sudden you're getting into other areas that you shouldn't be in. You know, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was actually a pastor and a theologian, was executed by the Nazis at age 39. He wrote something. I'm going to read it. It's a little, it's a little heavy, but um, it's so good. He says, in our members, there is a slumbering inclination toward desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed or money or finally that strange desire for the beauty of the world, of nature. Joy in God is, of course, being extinguished in us as we seek all our joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality, and the only desires for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does fill us with a hatred for God, for the forgetfulness of God. The lust around aroused envelops the mind and will of man in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. It is here that everything within me rises up against God. Wow. Man, that's, that's some heavy stuff. Basically, forget God. Think about the creature. Satan does that. That's what temptation sometimes does in giving in to temptation. It blurs out God. Well, what does the scripture say? It says, then when desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. You know, this is what happened with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. This is what happened with David and Bathsheba and their baby. This is what happened with Samson, with Delilah, the death of his ministry and his own life. We can choose our sin, but guys, we can't choose the result. It kills. It kills sometimes our careers. Sometimes it kills our families, our relationships, our marriages. It really kills God's plans and purposes in our life. How can we resist? Can we resist? And the answer is yes. Look what James says in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Here, basically, it says, submit to God. Say, God, I belong to you. I know that I'm your property. You know, I find it uh, helpful to just quote Scripture, you know, almost preaching to myself, but making it a prayer to the Lord. You know, He has purchased me with His blood. I belong to Him. I know Jesus died on the cross for me. It says to resist. You know, don't sin. Don't do the act. Don't, you know, look that way or don't go that way. 
Don't get alone like Joseph who fled. You know, the Bible says that the enemy, that he will flee from you. The problem is that many times we resist and then we leave a forwarding address. You know, we kind of leave our foot in the door a little bit. You know, someone said it takes two to make a successful temptation and you are one of the two. You know, the Bible says that he will flee from you as you draw near to God and resist. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know, we need to realize that God's presence is the one sovereign remedy against temptation. God is there to help. Let me say that again. We need to realize that God's presence is the one sovereign remedy against temptation. God is there to help. You know, when Jesus was tempted in Matthew 4, after being in the wilderness for 40 days and fasting, Satan came to him to tempt him, to turn the stones into bread, to uh, go up on the pinnacle, and uh, also on the mountain. And uh, it says that every time Jesus was tempted by Satan, he quoted Scripture. He used the Word of God. Oh, Satan said, turn these stones into bread. You know, and Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. He took himself on the, temp- on, on the pinnacle. And what did Jesus say? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He went up on the mountain and he wanted him to worship. He says, you shall worship the Lord thy God and him only shall thou serve. See, we draw near to God by drawing near to his word and relying on the word of God and preaching to ourselves God's word. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but that which is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you will be able to endure it. Look, God's not going to give us more than we can handle. He knows. He's going to keep us from temptation. He's going to provide a way of escape or give us the power to resist temptation. Sometimes you can't run. Sometimes you just have to resist. But we need to draw near to the Lord. We're going to be tempted, but by resisting, we will be blessed. We will be fulfilled. We will be happy. We will be approved of God, and we will receive the crown of life that Jesus promised us. You know, the Bible says that that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And maybe he's been having his way with you. And it's time today to say, you know what? I'm going to make that commitment to walk with Jesus and resist that temptation. So I'm going to pray with you right now and pray that God would just give us all that strength to stand with Jesus and stand against the wiles of the enemy and the temptations that come into our lives. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your love for us and Lord, for your promise that, Lord, that you will be with us even when we are tempted, and you will give us the strength to not only stand against temptation, but even provide the way of escape, Lord. And, Lord, so we just pray that as temptations come, that we would even recognize that these are an opportunity to shine for you, Lord, and to resist temptation. And, Lord, you would use them to even prove our own faith. Lord, we don't want to be afraid. We don't want to be like scared of temptation that come. We want to be wise and uh, we want to be strong. And so we pray that you would keep us from the evil one, Lord. And we pray that you would bring your word into our lives, Lord, to stand. And Lord, uh, for those who have been falling, Lord, we, we just, uh, you know, we just 
pray, Lord, we thank you that you forgive us for our sins, Jesus, that you died on the cross for us and that we can have a fresh start. Your mercies are new every morning. So we thank you for that. And uh, we just invite you into our lives daily. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Hey, I wanted to let you know, too, that we have our men's prayer breakfast coming up. And that's at all our campuses on October 22nd. Um, It's going to be at 8 to 930. And we're going to be praying for the so-called Harvest Crusade. It's going to be in the loft in Riverside and Orange County. And then also in Kumalani. Uh, It's going to be in the barn at 9 o'clock. So you can check out more at harvest.church. So again, Pastor Mike from Harvest signing off. God bless you. And uh, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.